again, everybody. Welcome to the Mainland Podcast, episode number 71. It is our uh, one and only uh, prepared podcast here for the month of November. The off-season is a little bit different animal for us. We do it once a month here through the off-season, kind of recharge our batteries a little bit. Not that much news, especially for Orlando City here this month, but we've got a lot to get into. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com. Joining me a first-timer on the podcast, our very own Dave Rowe. Dave, how you doing tonight? Michael, I am excellent. Glad to be here. Um, looking forward to doing this and seeing how everything goes out. <laughs> well, uh, if you guys are avid readers of TheMainland.com, and why wouldn't you be if you're an Orlando City fan, you, uh, you may know Dave's work from his Pride Pub pieces where he puts together the perfect tailgate for you so you don't have to worry about any of that stuff you just have to go pick up the stuff at the store and and then dazzle your friends with your amazing uh recipes and and uh and beer selections so um, we're very very glad dave does that for us and um i'm sure uh, we'll, we'll now get to see that dave actually knows some stuff about soccer as well uh by having him on the podcast tonight so uh dave obviously wanted to we normally would open up with Orlando City news. That's typically what uh, you know the the bulk of our discussions are here on the Mainland Podcast. But this is going to be a little bit different because, man, do we have some big news this week. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann out as men's national team coach for the USA. And uh, Bruce Arena just today, as we record this, earlier today announced the official new head coach. The once former head coach of the USMNT is back in charge. Uh, just first of all, hit me with your overall thoughts on Klinsman's firing and uh, Arena's hiring. Uh, well, I think we can all agree that the Klinsman firing is something that was expected. Um, maybe even for some of us, maybe a little bit overdue. Um, as far as uh, Bruce coming back on board, I think that while we would all have liked to have seen something a little bit more, hopefully, long-term or building towards the future, there's something to be said for, hey, we've got to qualify. And Bruce knows the international game. He knows the players in the pool. And, you know, it's hard to argue against that he might be the one that's able to kind of just get us through. And then, okay, we take a look at it later. Yeah, I think this is a case of kick the can for U.S. soccer, really. Um, you know, they, they're in the middle of a qualification battle. Uh, it's not a good time to just simply start over and, and, you know, pull in somebody that maybe doesn't have international experience or maybe doesn't know the player pool because uh, we, we don't have time to go through those learning curves right now. It's time to, to get qualified. And with those uh, no points from the first two games of the Hex, you know, every point is now very, very precious. And I think that um, I, I think U.S. soccer went out and did about the best job they could in, in terms of finding someone who could step right in, hit the ground running, you know, not really miss a beat and, and try to turn a ship around while there's still time. And then maybe after Russia 2018 or, or maybe even in the run up to, to Russia 2018, maybe after qualification happens, uh, you know, maybe then you, you step back take a longer, you know, big picture look and, and see what else is out there and maybe bring somebody in under under Bruce to maybe get groomed and get that experience as we, as they go and, you know, maybe just kind of cut some time off that learning curve for whoever's next. Exactly. And uh, I think that uh, 
one possibility on that uh, would, of course, be Jason Christ, who we all hope would actually stay at Orlando City uh, as much as we would enjoy having him lead the, the men's national team. But, uh, you know, you're, you're right. We, we just need to look at that time. So, like you said, kick the can down the road. Let's see where we're at now. Let's get in. Let's get qualified. And then let's take a look. I mean, you know, we're still – it's 2018. I mean, we're at the end of 2016. It's still a while away. Um, a lot can happen between now and then, you know, who knows who's going to be available. Exactly. You know, somebody had asked me on Twitter about, um, would Jason Christ be a, a, you know, a name that was, that was, uh, mentioned. And I think he's probably on the, some of the longer lists, but I don't think he's on a short list as, as of this time. The, you know, certainly there'll be some waiting and seeing going on after his stint with New York city FC, not being able to get them in the playoffs. And then Patrick Vera comes in and, and gets him in the playoffs in one year and, and darn near wins the Eastern Conference. Um, the the thing that, you know, I think is guys like Oscar Pereja. Those guys are guys like that are getting named. I think uh, Jesse Marsh is a name I've heard. Um, yeah. And then, you know, uh, also it, what surprised me is that, uh, you know, guys like Bob Bradley were being mentioned. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We already did the Bob Bradley thing. And, and I know we also did the Bruce Arena thing, but, Bruce was a bit more successful on the international stage than, than Bob Bradley was. Certainly he is, a, uh, I believe that Bruce has the highest winning percentage of any U S men's national team coach that coached more than three or four games. Uh, so, you know, and he got him to a quarter final of a world cup. So, I mean, he's an accomplished guy. He certainly, uh, I mean, he stopped coaching the U S men's national team the first time around in 2006. So it's a decade later, he's won some championships with the LA galaxy, uh, He's. I, I don't think anybody is the same person they were 10 years ago. So it's. It's. You know. It's, I know some people are maybe disappointed, saying this is a step backward. But, you know, I, I think for Bruce, you got to look at the fact that he's got 10 more years of coaching experience. He's been very successful where he's gone. Um, he, he's gone in. Uh, you know, he's still familiar with those. Those. Uh, <laughs> I call them the hard to reach places in Concacaf. Uh, you know, through the Champions League play. And I think that um, you know he'll steward this this uh, this team in the right way. In fact, he's you know he's very he's kind of a, a kind of a grump with the media, but he's absolutely a players' coach, and they and his players play hard for him. So I think that uh, Sunil Gulati did a good job, and I think that um, they've probably got the right man for at least uh, to take this team to 2018. Well, I agree with you, and um, you're right. He did have the highest winning percentage. I mean, he was 71, 30, and 29 in his time with the U.S. men's national team from 98 to 2006. Like you said, he got them to the quarterfinals, um, and then he's been successful in MLS also. I mean, he's he's got you know three cups, and uh, and then with the with the national team, he also had uh, gold cups in 05, 02 and 05, mm-hmm. and you know he took third in the FIFA Confederate uh, Cup in 99. So, I mean, we talked about the international experience. We talked about the MLS experience. And, you know, the thing that I think that kind of stuck in everybody's crawl a little bit was back when he uh, he said, I don't want he, – he was very uh, MLS American-focused uh, for the national team. And mm-hmm. what Klinsman did do was allow – you know, we have, you know, some of those German guys coming in, you know, the, the dual citizenship guys. And, and I think, honestly, some of them have helped the team. And I think, ideally, we'll have a, 
you know, a little bit of all of it. And hopefully that 10 years away has given him the perspective of, okay, yeah, I like MLS. I like the, you know, the All-American players that are here, but hopefully he'll recognize that, I mean, let's face it, Pulisic uh, uh, is uh, going to be one of the outstanding players of U.S. men's national team, you know, as we go forward. He needs to be playing. And so hopefully Arena is going to, you know, take that and, you know, keep going with it, although put his own spin on it. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, Bruce has backed off those comments quite a bit and said that what he meant was that he wants he, he thinks that this should be guys that and I have to agree with him, guys that are willing to put it all on the line for their country. I mean, it's to represent your country is a huge, huge thing. And I think what he meant to say, you know, back then when he made those comments were that, you know, was that, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or defend him. I'm just saying this is what I think he meant is that, you know, somebody that was born and raised in Germany might not feel that patriotic tug, you know, when the, when the anthem is played and want to lay it all out in the line for their country. And, and you really in international soccer, you need that. You need to have that guy who's, who's willing to, put his body on the line for his country and to represent his nation. And I think that's more what he meant rather than where someone was born and that kind of thing. So um, I never got too bent about those, those uh, discussions, those, those comments that he made Um, getting back to Jurgen. And I know that, uh, you know, you mentioned that we thought, you know, we all thought that this was something that would happen. It's an interesting, interesting dynamic because, um, he's done so many things wrong that I think we kind of expected it. And then at, at some point I stopped expecting it and started thinking, well, you know, he's just, he's just got carte blanche. He's just going to, they're going to ride and die with him. But, uh, you know, I think what really sunk him was the excuse making the, the constant, you know, inferences that, that us fans are not sophisticated enough to understand the process, uh, to understand the game, and I think those are the kinds of things that when you, you stack those on top of a home loss to Jamaica in the Gold Cup and a you know two home losses in a row in competitive play to Mexico and an embarrassing loss at Costa Rica, you, you just pile those and stack those up and it was just a matter of time before he hit the door. Uh, I completely agree. And I, I un- had the unfortunate uh, task of writing that recap for that embarrassing loss. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that, was, that was not, you know, it's one of those ones where you want to turn the game off, but I'm sitting there going, nope, I can't turn the game off. Um, but no, you're right. Uh, the, the comments that he was making about the fans, uh, and, and not just the fans, but, um, you know, there were times where he, uh, would put it on the players, uh, and that had to be, you know, bad for, you know, team morale. You know, mm-hmm. when the coach is up there and and he's he's throwing them under the bus, and then he throws the fans under the bus, and it was it that, like you say, on top of the results. I mean, okay, we all felt pretty good coming out of um, uh, out of the last World Cup. I mean, you know, they had a good showing. Um, you know, we we won some games that you know maybe we weren't supposed to, and you know, we got out of the group of death. And everybody felt, eh, you know, pretty good about, okay, well, maybe we were heading in the right direction. And then it starts falling apart after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it would have been one thing if he was being consistent, but the, the constant tinkering and playing players out of their normal positions and trying, you know, 
the some of the the formations that he was doing, uh, you know, when he went up against Mexico, I mean, it, it made absolutely no sense. And and he himself changed it after 25 minutes into the game. The, it was it was like it was a a toy set that he was playing with, rather than something that we all love. Yeah, it it was it was kind of like he was um he was putting together a model without reading the instructions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they didn't really know what goes where. Uh, the interesting that you, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, he he threw Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones under the bus as guys that weren't getting involved in midfield battles and winning one on one things and and you know you're throwing out a new formation against a very very skilled team and you're you know everything takes that one extra beat where am i supposed to be who am i supposed to be marking you know right. what's my what's my defensive responsibility here there is all of that going on and you know that's not on the players the players haven't played that the other thing that bugged me about uh, Klinsman throughout and and it was this was his his tenure with the U.S. men's national team was a big tease because you remember going to Germany and going to the Netherlands and getting wins where we've never gotten wins before. And right. it, it looked like this whole new world of, of hey, maybe this is finally, you know, the U.S. coming into its own and, and, and you know, becoming a world power. And, and then, you know, there were these all these home losses and and just bad results here and there. And, and the constant tinkering and the thing that really got me was that he was – very stubborn about a couple of things. One, if a guy went out and produced, he wasn't rewarded for that. Uh, oftentimes, he wasn't even asked back for the next uh, international break. It happened to Breck Shea. Yeah. Uh, Breck Shea went out, scored a couple of goals, and then he didn't get called back up for a year. Um, and then the other thing you know, that drove me a little bit nuts is that he wasn't – you know, he's got this pool of players. And we talked about this in our, our chat room today. He's got a pool of players that he can choose from. He's got to pick U.S. citizens. He's got to pick guys that are eligible. And right. he's he's got guys that are, you know, just lighting it up. And he's not even calling them in to give them a look. Guys like Benny Failhaber, when he was just dominating a couple seasons ago, wasn't getting a sniff. Sasha Kleschen wasn't getting a sniff until recently. And even then, he was coming off the bench in the 75th minute a lot of times. Or he was playing against, you know, really... You know, uh, you know, like Antigua and Barbuda. You know, right? And, like and if, I mean, if you're going to bring up Sasha and you're not going to, you're not going to stick him in there in the midfield to try and do something, then what? Why did you even bring him up? It's it's really uh, curious. It's really a curious thing. In fact, I remember the, I think was it the last World Cup? It was somebody he wasn't using that I thought. Why not throw him out there? Nothing you're doing is working. I think it was Mix actually, and um, wow. Mix is Mix. I mean, because Mix has kind of fallen off off the radar the last couple of years at New York City. But I mean, at one time he was considered one of the more up and coming uh, guys on the team, and he wasn't getting on the field, and they weren't holding the ball, and they weren't they had zero attack going. And I was right. like, well, here's a guy who can at least string some passes together and, and give you some creativity in the attacking third. And, he, sure. you know, why did you bring him and you didn't bring Landon Donovan? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, and that's a whole other thing with Jurgen. I mean, you know, you want to talk about something that, that ticked off the fans was that whole Landon Donovan fiasco. Uh, and, I, you know, right or wrong, whether, you know, Landon should have been out there or not, it, the, the, the visual of it was bad. 
Yeah, I mean, and let's let's be honest. I mean, even if Landon Donovan goes as a guy who's going to come off the bench in the 60th minute and maybe give you some offense late, and that's all he's there for, I mean, it, it's worth having him on the roster for that because how much do they use Chris Wondolowski? Right. Um, and, and, and really too much. <laughs> too, too much. Oh yeah. No, if, if, you, if you come <laughs> and say, Hey, uh, you can have uh, Landon or you can have Wando. Uh, yeah, I'll take Landon. Thanks. And it looked really bad when Josie got hurt. Um, you know, cause there was no, there was no true strike. And then he's got to play Dempsey up top. Right. It, it, you know, a little bit out of position. Dempsey has played there before, but it's not like, you know, that wasn't the plan going in. So, you know, whatever, a half a game into your first group match, you know, your whole entire tournament has changed. So yeah. you can't select a team like that. That just can't happen. So team selection obviously was a, was a big issue for me with him. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'm fine with the decision. I didn't, I thought that the, the team was largely treading its wheels and, and not, in some ways, wasn't even being as successful as it had sometimes been under Bob Bradley. Um, but, um, you know, Bruce, I think, will come in and, and I think will give the team a boost. I, I think it's very telling that we didn't see a lot of outpouring for Jurgen Klinsmann from the current members of the U.S. men's national team on Twitter and social media. Um, that always tells me that, oh, well, they don't really care that he's gone. You know, they don't have anything good to say, so they're not saying anything. Well, and, and right, because that's what your mother said. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. And uh, I think you're right. It, it um, and it, and it goes back to you know what we said about him, you know, throwing you know Michael Bradley and the rest under the bus. Uh, once that happened, and that was very you know in the last you know few weeks, why why would they come out and say something? Right. You know, they wouldn't, um, especially since you know. They're going to look at it as, okay, well, Bruce is going to come in. Everybody, Everybody's going to be revitalized. I mean, there's going to be some excitement around the program. I mean, even if you're not sure if you're going to be there, well, now, okay, you got to go prove it to the new boss. Mm-hmm. And or you got to earn your spot all over again. So guys are going to be spot, playing right. hard, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, people, you know, it brings some energy. It brings uh, some fire, you know, under the butts of some people and maybe – Maybe that's enough to, you know, to to get us through. Yeah, we shall see. It'll be it'll be very interesting. I, I honestly do think that you can tell sometimes when a team quits on a manager, and in the second half of the Costa Rica match, that looked like a team that had completely given up on Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, like I said, I wrote the recap. You're absolutely right. All right, so uh, we've got a new man in charge of the U.S. team. Uh, we are going to see in March. You know, if, if we can pick up some results right off the bat, uh, there's a trip to Panama. I forget there's a home game, too, but I can't remember who that's against. It might be Guatemala, maybe. Um, but anyway, those two games are going to be vital if, uh, if, if, you know, the U.S. can get, you know, four to six points in those games. Uh, they'll be right back in the thick of things for qualifying for Russia. So, um, you know. The, the World Cup cycle is four years long, and you hate, hate, hate to miss qualification uh, because it's just such a long road back. So, uh, well, and and you and I in particular, we're not getting any younger. That, that is that is true. I'm glad you pointed that out. <laughs> Thanks. I was I was feeling a little too young there until you mentioned that. Hey, look, we're the old men of the group. Okay, <laughs> that's true. All right, so 
Let's turn our attention a little bit towards Orlando City. Now, there's, it's been a pretty quiet uh, offseason thus far. We are expecting around the end of the month for some roster moves to take place. Uh, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Orlando City head coach Jason Christ. Uh, went down, uh, the, you know, the team on November 1st um, partnered with a Brazilian club. It's the third uh, such partnership with an international club for Orlando City, uh, obviously following Stoke City and Benfica. Uh, they have partnered with Club uh, Atletico Paranaense uh, in Brazil. And I think, um, uh, you know, Jason Christ went down for a few days, checked out their operation, their their training facilities uh, and their, their, you know, their methods and, um, you know, just took it all in. And, you know, some people are calling that purely a scouting trip, but I, I don't agree. I think that he, you know, he's a very tactically minded guy. I think he's the kind of guy who went down and said, what can I learn from this? What can I borrow? He once went down to Argentina and came home and uh, put in his 442 diamond that he's become so, so famous for. So, you know, what are your thoughts on what was Jason doing there? And, um, you know, how can this help Orlando City in 2017 and beyond? Well, you know, so one of the things that um, a club of Atletico Paranese, and we're both saying it probably horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> one of the things that they, uh, you know, in Brazil are one of the best at is uh, the top to bottom organization, the the development, the academy there. And so they are they're a model in that country as far as that goes. And of course, you know, coming into uh, Orlando City, you know, we have Orlando City B, we have the Academy, you know, it's it's much more, we're, we're the management is trying to make it much more like that, a, a top to bottom, mm -hmm. uh, you know, development all the way up to the, to the top tier type of organization. And with him as being the boss of the, the, the MLS squad, he's got to be able to see how that flows and going to one of the, and, and of course we all know the Brazilian influence, you know, on the team uh, for him to be able to go down there to talk to those people, to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, how it can help him uh, with the MLS squad, uh, I think is, is important. I think that's key. I think, and I think that's probably what he was trying to, to learn. Like you said, I mean, he, you know, goes down and he learns, you know, the four four two, and now he's going to go down there and maybe trying to just grow as a as, as a coach and see. I think it's him recognizing, okay, here's an opportunity for growth for me, and the way I can do that, I've been given this opportunity to go down there, see that, and take the key elements from that, implement them into the uh, the to the club and the uh, the top team, and you know. Like you said, he's tactically minded. You know, mm -hmm. he's going to look at it and and he's going to say, these are the bits and pieces I can use. This is what fits for me, and uh, ultimately, I think it's going to help. Yeah, uh, Paranaense. By the way, you're right. I, our apologies to the Brazilians and uh, anyone who speaks Portuguese. Probably butchering the name of the uh, club. Um, is coming to Orlando in 2017 for a friendly, and Orlando City will go down to uh, Curitiba, Brazil in 2018 for a friendly. So that's a, a cool little thing about the partnership. Uh, again, I think this partnership came out after our last uh, podcast, so we hadn't talked about it before, but it's, it's, it's an interesting one. And certainly um, 
connecting with a Brazilian partner, a Portuguese partner, an English partner. These are all things that could help us. Uh, it expands the scouting um, you know, uh, network because you know that's the main thing about MLS clubs that they struggle with in terms of keeping up is is you know they don't have a ton of money to go spend on scouting. Um, it's something that you know these these the big four European leagues. I mean, they've got tons of resources sunk into scouting, but uh, to to have an MLS club that has these these partner clubs that can say, you know, we saw this guy. He's not maybe not right for us, but maybe work out for you guys in in MLS. Um, you know, it's nice to have that, and and it's certainly for me. That's probably the best perk of these partnerships, provided you know we start seeing some of these players trickle in. Absolutely, and uh, you're right. And not only that, but uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we we're talking about different areas of, of the world here. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, being able to go and you know hit England, Portugal, Brazil. You know, there's there's different styles of play. There's different types of players that uh, can help us, um, and especially like you said, if we can't spend the money ourselves to go do it, if you've got eyes and ears out there, okay, well. We get a little word, a little birdie comes in and says, oh, hey, check out this guy. Then we can spend what little money we have, focus on that that one uh, person. We go check it out or we watch film or whatever. And then, okay, then maybe that works out. We bring them in. It's uh, consolidation of resources and helps us ultimately uh, advance Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it and it also provides those clubs, those partner clubs, with a a place where they can say, well, this guy's not getting minutes. Let's send him to the U.S. because we have this partnership. We know what they're about. We know their training methods. We know what they do, and we trust them not to screw this up. And we can send <laughs> send this guy, you know, up to Orlando, and he can he can get some minutes there and and help him develop, and also will help uh, Orlando City. So um, it, it's it's a win-win. I really like these partnerships, and I'm I'm very hopeful that we can add, you know, an Italian club and a German club and a Spanish club uh, among those partners because I think that you know that would that would really um, sort of blanket the 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 world soccer hotbeds and and also you know uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of very capable young and up up and coming players in other parts of the world, but those you know. That's really where they, where those resources come in because these other these big clubs are out scouting in in you know Nigeria and and um, you know the the Asian countries and the you know the Arab countries and all of that you know and some of the Eastern European teams and they can they can you know they just put a word out and say look we 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 saw this guy he's not really right for us but we're here here he's looking for a move and you know he he probably would do well in MLS so it's you know it's that it's that partnership and that that cooperation and that that you know network of scouting that really uh, is a good you know is a good fit for Orlando City and it's a good uh, it's a it's a really a, a just there's really no downside for Orlando City that I can think of no, and and you know it seems to be uh, we're hitting on one of these every year. Um, so I, I agree with you. You know, look look forward to you know. Okay, who's next? Are we going to, to Italy? Or are we going to Germany? Where are we going next? Because uh, I think that you know the management is 
just as smart as we are about this, if not smarter. And so, you know, they've probably already thought of what you just said. So I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're already in talks with somebody somewhere else. Uh, and, you know, a year from now or, you know, 10 months from now, we hear about the next partnership. All right, well, why don't we turn our attention a little bit toward uh, the Orlando Pride. Went out and made a big splash in the offseason already, uh, picking up U.S. Women's National Team defender Allie Krieger uh, and really didn't give up a whole lot for it, just a, a distribution ranking order uh, swap to get uh, Krieger. And, of course, the Washington Spirit, they're having some issues uh, with some, you know, some things their owners did, didn't sit well with a lot of the team. A lot of those players have moved on already and others are still expected to move on. Um, but Krieger is a very intriguing player for a number of reasons. Number one, great relationship with Ashlyn Harris. They're very good friends. Um, she feels a, a need to, uh, improve the back line. Uh, this maybe is a chance for, um, you know, if Jose Belanger is still on the team next year, maybe a chance for her to push her up into a more of a midfield role. And, um, you know, it obviously gives the pride another international player who will who will probably miss time with some international call-ups. But this is going to be a light year for the women in, in international play in terms of there's no World Cup, there's no Olympics. So uh, this is a very good move by, by Tom Sermani. <laughs> this is an outstanding move. And, and frankly, uh, one that... I know you and I are both extremely happy about, and you know when I was when I was reading up on it, it was I, I almost feel bad for uh, Spirit fans because they, like you said, I mean, okay, we gave up distribution <laughs> ranking uh, for one of the best defenders, uh, you know, on the U.S. Women's National Team, and uh, like you said, somebody who bolsters our back line. Okay, sure. It's an international call-up, you know, which brings us up to four with, uh, you know, Kristen Edmonds, Ashlyn Harris, and Alex Morgan. But like you said, also, hey, light year for that. Um, there's not a downside for this for us that I can find. And I looked today, and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> well, yeah, Allie Krieger is going to help out quite a bit. I think this is a, you know, Tom Sermani wants to build this team. He certainly wasn't happy with the with the defense, the way they, they ship goals and, 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 um, you know, certainly the other thing he wants to bolster is a, is his midfield to create more chances for Alex Morgan. Now I think that moving Belanger up into more of a wing role will be able to do that. I think uh, also having Lisa Devana back for a full season, uh, would, would certainly help, uh, with just having Devana and, and, and pushing Belanger forward, I think would help, uh, quite a bit with uh, providing more chances uh, at goal for not only those two players, but but also for Alex Morgan. And uh, she will also create space for those two players. So I think it's it's just a great move. And I think that, um, uh, you know, that having Krieger on one side and, and Steph Catley on the other side has got to give Orlando pride, you know, maybe the best fullback tandem in the entire league. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's like I said, it, this is one of those ones where uh, you you stay quiet, you you take the trade, and then uh, um, you hope that nobody figures it out and says backsies because uh, <laughs> you know uh, we all have you know watched Krieger you know play on the women's national team. We know what she's capable of. Not only does she you know is one of the better defenders, you know, in 
uh, women's league, but she's a veteran and yep. is going to bring that uh, experience to a young Orlando team that, you know, can certainly use the help on the back line. And, and she immediately elevates the other people around her. Uh, and then, like you said, she also has that um, uh, friendship with, with Harris uh, and that trust is already there. So Absolutely. that, that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be to be one or developed. It's already there. Um, it, it makes a big difference going forward. All right. Well, we will see what else uh, Tom Sermani does in this off season uh, leading up to the draft in January, I want to say. And, um, you know, it's I definitely expect a much more successful season in year two for the pride. I know that, uh, you know, Alex Morgan has taken a lot on her shoulders. She wants to be better. She wants to to score more goals. She wants to have success and make the playoffs. I think the moving into the new stadium is going to help that team from a uh, you know, a home field advantage perspective. I think it's going to it's going to be a great environment for women's soccer. Uh, a lot of people who will not be able to get into Orlando City games when it's sold out will be able to come to the the new stadium and see it uh, with you know with the pride playing. And um, you know, I expect big things from them, and uh, we'll see what happens in in year two. We'll now turn our attention toward the USL side. And Orlando City B, they had a big overhaul in the roster um, shortly after the end of the the 2016 season. The only team of the three on the club to make the postseason in 2016. The Young Lions uh, are bringing back Lewis Neal, the OCB captain and more or less an assistant coach on the field. Um, Midfielder Pierre De Silva and Michael Cox. and uh, they also are bringing back Zach Ellis Hayden. Uh, he's a fullback and obviously uh, a backup goalkeeper. Jake Finlayson uh, were signed to new contracts. So those guys are all coming back. But pretty much everyone else is gone. <laughs> they, they've declined options on uh, William E. Yang, Alejandro Garcia, Antonio Matarazzo, who you may remember was uh, an Orlando City draft pick last year. Yep. Um, Kyle McFadden, uh, Johnny Mendoza, Craig Nitty, uh, Marius Obakop. Andrew Ribeiro, Mark Ridgers, and Keegan Smith. I'm, several of those I'm not surprised by, but a couple of them took me by surprise. Mark Ridgers, uh, who played very, very well for OCB, took me a little bit by surprise. And uh, uh, also I thought maybe uh, Kyle McFadden or Johnny Mendoza might hang around for another year. Uh, any big surprises there for you? Uh, well, Mendoza, yeah. And... Th- more, more so the totality of uh, the cleaning of the house um, says to me that uh, they have a vision for something and it wasn't what we necessarily thought it was going to be. Um, I think, I don't know if it's a, a move towards just being more strictly developmental or what, but um, there's something going on. You, you don't clean the house like that, especially with uh, a couple of guys who, you know, maybe could have stuck around and, and, and helped without having some sort of master plan in effect. Yeah, part of me wonders if some of this is going to be because of shape change, uh, which is coming down from, from Jason Kreiss, and maybe they need different players to play the shape he wants. Some part of me wonders if this is 
just that there are a lot of academy players that are ready to step into those roles. Uh, I know that there are some, there are several academy players that even dress for OCB, and, and, and a few of them got a little bit of playing time, and, and maybe they will be signed to USL contracts or, or you know, brought up uh, in year two of OCB. That's that's something that we'll look forward to seeing, you know, as we get a little bit closer to to the season. I think that a lot, like last year, I think a lot of the USL guys were signed in December, so there should be some movement on that fairly soon. Right, and. I, I agree that, you know, uh, bringing up some of the academy and that that would ultimately be what it is that, you know, the organization is trying to accomplish here with the academy is is moving players from the academy to OCB and ultimately to the MLS squad. So mm-hmm. if if in only the second year they feel that um, they have the guys that, oh, OK, and obviously they're not ready to, to make the next step, but if if they're ready to get up to OCB, be in USL and, and, and develop within USL. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mean, we can look at the people they kept, um, you know, especially with Lewis Neal. Um, obviously you keep some veterans around to help the young ones develop and, you know, move things up the chain. So I'm in agreement with you. I think that that's, that's probably what's going on. I'm not saying that there won't be some other outside signings, um, you know, to bring some people in maybe to, to fit the new form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I do agree that that's, that's more than likely what is going on there. It's more of an overall organizational thing rather than an individual OCB thing. Yeah. And it's, it's actually very interesting to note that, uh, right now the, the development Academy U 17, U 18 team is ranked number one in the country. Uh, so there are some guys on that, team that that could step in and and play usl soccer next year we saw david loera uh this year with ocb he's uh he's on that u18 team um he's a guy that i think could play the full full season next year at ocb we'll we'll just have to wait and see you know some of these guys have to make decisions too on am i going to go play college soccer get an education uh you know take a scholarship and that kind of thing uh or am i going to just turn pro and, and maybe worry about the education part of things later. So there's there's a lot of things that go into this in soccer that maybe we don't see, you know, in college football, that kind of thing. You know, these guys just, you know, they go to college, then they go pro. In the NBA, they can go directly, you know, they can go directly in, or actually they used to be able to. Now it's, I think it's a one-and-done deal now. Yeah, and, one. And, and, and so, you know, soccer, they have that opportunity. They say, I can go, I can, you know, I can go pro or I can go to college. And, you know, honestly, and in basketball and football probably is better for development to go into college. Whereas in soccer, it's actually probably better development wise uh, for your game to go pro straight away. Uh, I completely agree. And I think one of the, that's one of the best things that's happened over the last you know, 20 odd years or so is the, the, I, you know, the, the taking of the academies and the development uh, squads um, that the rest of the world has been doing. And was one of the things that was, you know, probably keeping, um, you know, the U S men's national team down, um, was that, that lack of that system within the U S and the, the fact that the MLS squads are, are starting to do that, of course, including Orlando city, um, I think is only going to help not just MLS, uh, but the U S men's national team and actually all levels of soccer. Um, I think we'll, we'll end up with a better product, uh, in USL. We'll end up with a better product in MLS and we'll end up with a better product on the national team. 
Might be good news, these cuts for uh, Mason Stajahar, the homegrown player, uh, homegrown goalkeeper for Orlando City. He may get some to see some minutes uh, this coming season with OCB. Maybe he'll be uh, battling Fenlayson for that number one goalkeeper spot at OCB. Um, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, they they signed him to a homegrown contract. I really don't think they had any desire to play him this year. I think that they thought that was a little bit premature, but they definitely wanted to train, uh, wanted him to train in a professional environment. He's done that. And, um, you know, it'll be good to see him finally get on the field. We, we've seen him in training. He's a phenomenal goalkeeper. So uh, it'd be nice for the, the fans to get to, to see him in action. And we don't actually know where OCB is going to be playing this year. I'm, I'm hearing continuous rumblings from multiple sources that they will not be returning to Melbourne next year. I don't have anything official or on the record that I can report, but these are the rumors that I'm hearing. And um, you know, certainly our Gavin Eubank did a, an in-depth interview a few days ago with the USL uh, president, and he kind of let slip that he thinks OCB is going to be in the new stadium next year too. Yeah, I saw that, and uh, I... Uh... You know what? It, that as as much as I hate it for the people who are close to Melbourne and 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 we're supporting over there, uh, it might be the best thing overall, uh, not just for uh, you know the fans, but also the players. Yeah, it'll be close by. It'll be it's great facilities. Uh, they'll be able to train every day. You know, they already are training every day with the with the big club. But uh, you know, this will keep them from having the long bus ride over there on game days and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and of course, you know, my thing was, yeah, there are a lot of, there are a lot of fans over in Brevard County, um, but they weren't turning up at games for whatever reason. And, you know, this obviously, if they do play in the new stadium, gives, gives fans another opportunity aside from the Orlando pride. If you can't get into, to see Orlando city games because the games are being sold out. And I do expect most, if not all of this season's games to be sold out this year, um, because there are 18,000 season ticket holders and the place holds 25 and a half. Uh, I I think that, you know, that that presents another opportunity for the local fans to go out and see the stadium. And I think a lot of people weren't making that drive. I mean, our, our own Andrew Harrison, who's, who's not, uh, you know, he's people that listen to this podcast are familiar with Andrew. He's, he's uh, no longer with us. He's enjoying his, uh, his new baby girl um, and uh, fatherhood and all that kind of stuff. But he had season tickets, uh, with his wife to go to OCB, and they made it to one game. So uh, it's a long drive. Weeknights especially are difficult. And I think just the the population center here will provide for more uh, rear ends in the seats. Uh, and, and, you know, there's things, all kinds of things the club can do in terms of, of if you're a season ticket holder for Orlando City and you want to add OCB season tickets, you can get a discount and that kind of thing. I, I think it, it fills a lot of... Um, there, there are a lot of ways that they can sell tickets for the new stadium uh, for OCB that they couldn't maybe do in Melbourne. And, and, you know, let's be honest, I don't think there was a huge marketing push to sell season tickets for OCB out at, uh, at East Florida State College. But, uh, um, you know, they they have three teams to sell and it's one sales team. So it's, uh, you know, it's a lot to ask. So something's got to slide and this should make things a little bit easier for them. Well, I said it at the time. Uh, that's why they should have gone to Stetson. Go Hatters. Um, <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, I, I think you're right. You know, uh, if the rumors that we're both hearing are true and 
uh, OCB is going to be playing in the new stadium. I think that will be the best for everyone. I mean, you know, as unfortunate as it will be for the, the fans over there on the East Coast, they can certainly make the drive in for the game if they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, but it'll be a better atmosphere uh, when they are at the game. It'll be good for everybody except our own Sean Rollins, who uh, <laughs> lives for- out that way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, None of it's good for me. I'm in Tallahassee. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Anyway, so uh, we'll see what happens. They got a lot of roster fill, a roster, a lot of roster to fill. If I could learn to speak English um, uh, at OCB, and we'll we'll certainly be bringing you all of those signings uh, at the mainland. Um, Before we get out of here, Dave, I wanted to wanted to talk a little bit about the expansion draft, and we don't have time to really get into our full protection list and who will be exposed. But I want you to give me maybe one or two guys that you think are going to be um, left unprotected and one or two guys that you think will be protected that might surprise fans. Oh, that might surprise fans. Um, uh, um, This one could be a surprise or not a surprise. Uh, You know, uh, Breck Shea, I think, will be unprotected. Um, I think people that, and I say could be a surprise, not a surprise, people who maybe aren't paying attention as much, that might surprise them, you know, given the high-profile player that he was. Uh, I just think that, um, barring something that none of us know about, uh, he's he's taken up a lot of money and uh, has not had a lot of time on the field. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, ideally... You know, maybe he gets he gets picked up somewhere else, and we don't have to worry about that. Um, let's see. As far as uh, other unprotected that we wouldn't think about, um, oh gosh, you know, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. So uh, protected, um, MPG. I, you know, he's. Uh, I don't think that he was brought in uh, by Christ. Uh, as a one-timer, I think that he was brought in specifically for what he's going to be going forward with in the in, you know, what we all anticipate, you know, going to a 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's he's going to be an integral part of that. And and honestly, I think he did a fantastic job once he got here of, uh, you know, sparking some of the offense. So I, I, I definitely don't see him going anywhere. And then the other piece would be uh, AHA on the back line. Um, once again, uh, you know, young player, um, productive. I think he, um, I, I think he started to, you know, be a, a good piece on that back line, something that we can build off of, uh, whether that's with Redding or, you know, somebody else, uh, that remains to be seen, but, uh, I, I don't see him going anywhere either. All right. Yeah. You know what? I agree with you about Breck Shea, because I think that, uh, Brex, I, a lot of teams you see do this in expansion drafts. They they dangle their high price guys, thinking that there's nobody either either they're they're going to take them off our hands and we'll just get younger and figure it out, you know, and younger and cheaper and, and just figure it out as we go. Or they're going to be scared off by the price tag and they're not going to take them. So I mean, there's something to be said for we don't want to lose any assets, so we'll put something out that I don't think they'll I don't think they'll go after. Now, I don't right. think they would do that necessarily with Kaka, but I think they could do that. <laughs> uh, you know, cause yeah, I don't team, see that happening. A team would be like, $7 million guy? Mm, 
maybe not. But you don't want to take that risk either because they could maybe find a trade partner for that guy that they take. <laughs> so right. um, so you always have to be wary of that. It's, it's not just you know who they might take or might not take, but I think you have to worry about what they might do with that person once they take them because there's all kinds of backdoor deals. And there'll be deals with these clubs for guys not to take guys. I'm certain that happened with Orlando City when they had their expansion draft. They had deals with, with – at least two teams that I know of that we're not going to take one of your guys. Right. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a favor down the road. And I'm pretty sure DC United was one of those teams. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, and I'm sure they had something in, in play with Portland as well. I, I think that they will surprisingly, I think they might protect David Mateos, even really? though, he, even though he gets, he's got a, a little bit of a high price tag. I think, there are there are rules to how many guys international players that take up international slots that you can protect, um, and I I just have a feeling that that Christ thinks that he had something there with Mateos and Aha because as, aside from those those three games and I think the guy each of them missed one of those three games the three games that they gave up four goals uh, in each of them I think Aha missed one of those and I think Mateos missed one of those uh, but I think the two of them together worked so well. Uh, for the most part, since Jason Christ came in, that I think that he might, he might just think this could work, and okay. uh, and give that a shot. Now, that necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean he will. This is just this is just me spitballing here. Uh, but I think that would be a surprise move that I think nobody would really expect, um, and uh, somebody that he would not protect, that you might think he would. Well, a lot of people have this thing in their head that says, because Alex Morgan's with the pride, no way will we ever, ever, ever get rid of Servando Carrasco. Oh. I think Servando Carrasco is left unprotected. I think he's left unprotected, and I, and I think maybe the clubs you know, calls Minnesota and Atlanta and says, maybe don't take Servando. We'd really appreciate it. Maybe we'd do you a favor down the line somewhere. Okay. Um, I, I think that that's just a way that they could uh, protect somebody that they do want to keep. And not that they don't want to keep Servando, but uh, I, I think that that's a way that they could protect someone else that is maybe more likely or would hurt the club more to lose than, than Servando would. So I think that maybe they dangle him out there and leave him unprotected with the hopes that he doesn't get taken and, and maybe even a backdoor deal to, to ensure that doesn't happen. So that's that would be, I think, a surprise, because I think a lot of people would just assume, as long as Alex Morgan's here, we're keeping Servando Carrasco. I don't think that's necessarily set in stone. I think it's great for the couple that they get to live and play in the same city right now, but I don't think that was ever a, a forever deal. Well, no, and, uh, you know, okay, so worst, well, not worst case scenario for them, but uh, let's say they don't protect him, they dangle him out there, and he goes to Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's not that far. Yeah, it's a short flight for those two. Exactly. <laughs> Minnesota's a little bit further, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, a little bit colder, too, yeah. Now, the interesting thing, too, is if Adrian Heath goes to Minnesota, as the, you know, has been widely, widely, widely rumored... Uh, he knows this team very, very well. Yes, he does. And he might be more uh, more inclined to take somebody that you know you wouldn't necessarily suspect you know he would take. He might take a guy like Luke Bowden. You know, um, I know we all love Bods, but uh, if uh, if Heath was to take Bods, I 
think that might actually work out best for us anyway. <laughs> that would be okay, because once you have a player selected, you are out of the expansion draft. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, I I think, you know, all Orlando City fans have a soft spot for, for Luke Bowden uh, if you were around since the USL days because of what he gave to this team and, and, and how successful the team was. And he was a part of that, the championships and that kind of thing. And, you know, you, he's a solid player. He's a smart player. He's, he's not a guy that is fooled easily, but my goodness, his pace is just not where it needs to be to play fullback in, in MLS. And I honestly think that the majority of the problems that Orlando city's defense had was largely in part, it was to a large degree, responsible for you know by the fullbacks not really being dynamic enough to to you know get where they needed to be and you know obviously we we've seen things like the the Montreal one nothing game at the end where we were eliminated where uh, you know we fullback kept them on side you yeah. know and, and that kind of thing but um you know Luke is is a guy who will always you know we have that saying forever a lion he will definitely be forever a lion but he's a guy that definitely I think that the team could part with and not uh, really feel much of a burn from that and and I think he's a guy that you know in a lot of ways Adrian Heath used him as a safety net in 2015 I mean he played a lot of positions right exactly and uh, well let's put it this way uh, a couple of weeks ago I went to homecoming. Uh, I'm an old man. I was around a bunch of young guys, and uh, on the last day, I played a little uh, touch football. And while I made a good showing, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, I was hurting a lot more than they were after that was done. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of what Luke is. Um, you know, do I think he could, like you say, go up and help Heath be that man that he can stick anywhere and uh, give him a sense of of security? Absolutely. You know, will we be heartbroken if he's not here? Well, yeah, on one level we will because always lying, but uh, forever lying. But, um, you, you know, like you say, it's it's as far as a, being a piece uh, on the field or even on the bench, um, perhaps we can do better. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe Julio Baptista, if you know, unless he's just outright not uh, not picked up for next year, I think he's a guy that could be left uh, unprotected. Uh, we'll have to see what what happens, but I think that he would be another guy that I think maybe might surprise some people if he were left unprotected. But I think that that could happen. Uh, of course, all of this is just conjecture. We'll know more uh, toward the end of November when we see you know what kind of moves that the that the club makes some some clubs have already made their moves. There's been some very interesting moves already. Some some players leaving RSL that who knows could find their way to Orlando. Um, and then uh, you know Morales up in Vancouver not not being brought back is was a little bit surprising too. So yeah, um, you know there there are there are always every year teams get rid of guys that you never suspect they would and and they keep guys that you didn't think they would and you know. Sometimes it works out good and sometimes it doesn't, but uh, that's all part of the game. And and, and we will, uh, of course, have all of December. There'll be a lot of player movement, in, you know, in the month of December, especially getting later in December and into January. We'll see players coming and going. And um, the expansion draft will be very exciting. It'll be different to be on this side of it this time and instead of uh, on the selecting side. And um, 
you know, hopefully we won't lose anybody. And, uh, it, you know, that would be nice to get through the, the, the 10 picks per side without losing anybody. That would be nice. But uh, we will see. And we'll be back next month to talk all about that in December. Again, we, we have the monthly the monthly schedule in the off season and, and coming back into the season, we probably will do two in February. And then once March comes and we have the, the season, we'll be back to our regular weekly mainland podcast uh, schedule. So anyway, that'll just about do it for uh, episode number 71 of the mainland podcast. want to uh, thank you, Dave Rowe for, for coming on and your maiden voyage here on the podcast and, and uh, talking about something other than beer. Well, as much as I enjoy talking about beer, this was a heck of a lot of fun and am happy to do it anytime you need me to. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, that's going to do it for episode 71. Uh, please uh, visit us at uh, themainland.com. Follow us on Twitter. We are at the mainland. And of course, we spell Maine like a lion's mane, M A N E. And uh, you can, uh, of course, uh, like us on Facebook. And please, if you like what you hear, uh, leave us some uh, positive feedback. Uh, on iTunes because uh, that uh, increases our our reach and uh, we would greatly appreciate that. So uh, that will do it. We'll be back in December with an all-new Mainland podcast. We are working on some very, very special guests and if we can uh, we can sync up the schedules, uh, we might have our maybe our most high-profile guest to date, which is saying something because we've done, I think, very well for ourselves in the past. Uh, but that will do it. On behalf of Dave Rowe, a staff writer, uh, extraordinaire at the mainland. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor, signing off, as I always do, by saying, Go City! <laughs>